This is the Hunt Quietly Podcast. I'm Matt Ranella. Evan and Andy, thank you for coming on this evening. Uh, I really appreciate it. You fellas reached out to me a while back. Tell me a little bit about your, is it, it's a nonprofit. Yeah. Are you, is it 501c3? We are 501c3 not-for-profit called Opportunity Outdoors. And Evan, you're the founder. Uh, Andy and I are both founders. We, we co-founders. Yeah, we're we're co-founders. So we just both um, started this together. Um, and this organization, I mean, I can just start off by just saying the mission is to grow conservation through mentorship. Um, and that's our mission. And through that, it is to build more, to make more hunters out of people who are seeking it out. Um, so not us seeking them, but the people who are like, I really want to hunt, but I don't know where to go. And they, you know, potentially here in North Carolina would find us. So through that, we are very young. We started this in 2020, May of 2020, during everything during COVID when we're like, what are we going to do? And we had already been mentoring some hunters. So we wanted to formally do this. So we created that. And now we're finally getting to the point where we know who we are and what we do and what we can bring. So we're trying to expand now into taking that message and putting our money where our mouth is and getting more involved in the conservation realm um, with our organization. We're just not there yet. So we have a lot of plans. Um, we finally have a board. We're approved 501c3. Um, and that's where we're at right now. What were these early mentorship experiences that led to you doing this? You want to kick the that thing that, yeah, the thing that kind of like kicked it all off was, uh, we were talking before we jumped on Evan and I started hanging out through BHA North Carolina events. He, he and I moved to the area kind of around the same time I was living in Colorado previously. Evan was up in New York, um, before we came down South and, uh, we were just looking for hunting buddies really. And then we ended up helping out through the through the state state of north carolina wildlife commission ours ours here is the wildlife resource commission they put on uh these get started outdoor programs gso's and they essentially do two or three in the fall for deer hunting and then two or three in the spring for turkey hunting and it's a two-day event for brand new hunters uh, it's powered through the R3 arm of the state agency. And their goal is to find people who lack experience, A. And then um, out here, our, I mean, all, I think all the states have a program like this. But this program is very serious about making sure that the folks entered into these programs don't have resources. Um, so they don't have a family member who actively hunts. They don't have... Um, you know, they're, they'll, they'll be asked in a survey, like you don't have access to someone who can take you hunting true or false. And they, they just want to offer who's, who's entering, who's 
is it a survey they're filling out? Yeah, when they, a, go to, they have to like apply. It's like applying for a class, right? They're applying to learn how to hunt. But it's a free class. It's the yeah. GSOs. So the, the deer hunt is what Evan and I were. So there's a limited in. number of slots. Yeah. Buying for the slots. It's, it's a single classroom type setting, right? So it's they've got 25 top total seats, maybe. And it's open to anyone in the state who buys a license. <laughs> And but, but it's oversubscribed, and that's why they have to winnow out people that don't have, uh, yeah. winnow it down to people that don't have other avenues. Yeah, and I think a lot of people, hunt. a lot of people that maybe like grew up with like I don't know, like maybe people that have like a like a, like a mid level exposure to hunting and hunting culture. I think some people seem to think that like these type of opportunities are like a some kind of free guided hunt. And they're trying to make sure that people aren't signing up in an attempt to like get some kind of free guided hunt. Cause that's not what oh. it is. Yeah. They're setting it up and, you know, we used to talk, you know, we still talk with the resource commission and help them out here and there. Um, and what it was set up for was like people who want to learn how to hunt, they go on to the wildlife resource commission website and they look up, you know, learn to hunt or they find the page. that's like getting started outdoors and they'll do a, online webinar kind of stuff where they talk about this is how to get into deer hunting and then you can also sign up for the in-person seminar which is a day thing with a bunch of like you know you learn how to shoot a rifle you learn how to set up a tree stand you learn how to um i don't know if it's turkey you learn how to turkey call and you know bring carcasses and they do butchering like a butchering section of the seminar they send everybody home with a with a cut of venison um it's pretty immersive but it's one day it's like a one day event and then they sign you up to go sit with a mentor in a blind on public land and well, it's uh, not really public it's more like a piece of state-owned land state-owned property yeah state-owned property that isn't a part of the typical game lands is what we call them here it's like different than your I mean, we have national forest, but it's in the game lands, what they call it here is your public lands. Um, and it's not part uh, of that. But be like a, a Joe Schmo can't go and hunt in this spot or not, or can they? No. So like one of them is a, a part of the forest. I think it's educational forest on one of the lakes, which is that the forest. I, I don't know who technically owns it. I have to look into that, but um the educational forest is not allowed for anybody to hunt on, but they have an agreement with the resource commission that they can put on these mentored, mentored hunts on this game land, like maybe once or twice a year. Oh, ergo the need to make sure that these folks really don't know shit yep. about hunting. Yeah. Exactly. And you know, I, would, I moved there that'd be the, and they didn't have that <laughs> check. That'd be the first thing I'd do. Yeah. Like, and, What's this haunting that you talk of? <laughs> <laughs> and that's Man. what's and a that's white what you gotta do it. Teach me how to do it. Can I skip the part with the tree stand climbing and all that and just come on day two? <laughs> yep. And and that's what they're trying to avoid with their these seminars is forcing people to come to the seminars to kind of weed out the people that are trying to get that free bid on their in their perspective. Um, and Andy and I helped out with the first one we did. Because, you know, they're looking for volunteers and they came across our board. So Andy and I just happened to be put together in the 
um, ambushing program, I guess you'd say, where we taught like, this is a tree stand. This is how you safely get up in a tree stand. So you don't kill yourself if you accidentally slip and fall or this is a blind. And that's how we crossed paths. But um, then we went on to the hunt portion where, you know, Andy and I both sat with a mentee at this, you know, on this hunt. Um, Andy could probably tell a story of his because we didn't see any in, in my group or in the guy that I helped. We but, had an awesome hunt. We had a spiker walk by at 25 yards, stopped right in front of us in an open hardwood patch. This this young man pulled up his rifle that was a state state owned rifle that he had been able to shoot, I think, three rounds through like two weeks prior. And he didn't quite connect at all. And we watched that spiker run off into the sunset. That was the end of our day. Yeah. So nobody shot a deer that day. Um, And there's was a really beautiful and humbling experience for all these new hunters to get out there. And there's like a dozen of them all in a different blind on the same property. So you'd think somebody's going to see a deer. They've all got scoped 243s sighted in by the commission safety crew. So they should be able to, they should be able to make contact. And, uh, <laughs> at 25 yards. Yard, and we skunked. One would think. Yeah. yeah. But, you know, Andy and I, we did that. And then, you know, you get to the end of it, right? And you got all these newer hunters. And these happen to be NC State students um, from the school. And we were, they were all like, well, now what? Happened to be just yeah, this, incidentally. No, this was like set up for NC State students. This was oh. NC State. Yeah, this is like in partnership with NC State because yeah. the Wildlife Commission, like their headquarters are like basically on campus. So they do a lot of work because NC State's the ag school here in North Carolina, right? So, yeah, I went, to, I went down there one time when I was a graduate student at Michigan State. And yeah. for the weed science, the weed science competitions. That tracks. <laughs> that definitely tracks. Yeah, there's we you have there's a, a bunch of different components to it. What one of them is who can calibrate a sprayer the quickest, who wow. does the best at weed ID. So how many things did you win? I did good with the, the sprayer calibration, but everything else I sucked. <laughs> <laughs> but regardless, like that sounds thoroughly entertaining. Yeah, that's hilarious. Um, to get back to it, at the end of it, we had the, all these students and these these newer hunters that are like, "I really want to do this. I think I want to do this again." But the way it was set up was somebody else scouted the land. They're going on a piece of property they're never going to be able to go on again now because once you do one of these, you're done. Okay. And they don't have, they were provided a firearm and basically all of the gear. And then they had somebody who knew what they were doing sitting next to him to tell him when to shoot the deer. Yeah. Andy and I were like, all right, if you really want to learn how to hunt, you can contact us and come out with us. That's like, we'll just take you hunting. And if you want to go get the gear and you really want to take the leap into this, we'll show you how, what it takes. And that's it. And okay. so we started to do that. This we, seems like a, a recipe for some major spot pirating. 
It could be if you want to. We can get into because we're going to get into spots because based off of how we mentor. Um, and so, yeah, we would just take them out hunting and we'd say, go try over there. This is, you know, you have your firearm, you're set up and you're going to learn the same way that maybe me or Andy grew up where my dad would be like, you're going over there, try that spot. And, you know, you let us know what happens and we'll see you back at the truck at this time. And that's how and we you'd f- be somewhere else on the same in the, in the vicinity. Doing somewhere nearby. I could be a mile away. I could be 200, 300 yards away in a safe direction, but I'd be like, here's, you know, your area, go in there, try it, see what happens. And we- I mean, shoot with Onyx. It's so easy. Now you, <laughs> yeah. know, you, you can drop them a pin and be like, Hey, go sit on this pin. And they get to where their little blue dot is covering up the little red dot and, and they yeah. find a tree to sit down next to. And, uh, they hope for the best. Hopefully, you, got, you know, have you guys seen that, like those videos? And, oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry, Andy. Go ahead. Yeah. No. That makes it quite, I mean, if they can't do that, they probably shouldn't have them. If they can't manage those kinds of instructions with a cell phone in their hand, well, but arrow pointing towards. So like, let, let's put some context around the, around the individual. Right. So we're talking about somebody who has, um, probably, probably just recently fired their first firearm. Right. Matt, how old were you when you shot your first center fire firearm? Mm, don't five. remember. Do you? Yeah. Don't remember. Me neither. Me neither. I remember the first time I shot me my dad. What? what do you mean? Me knocked me over. I mean, you and I grew up in a way where we were presented these things at a young age. Yes. Right. Yes. So, so, so we're the people that the people that Evan and I are typically taking out to this spot. They've never, they might've just shot a firearm for the first time last week as an adult. And now they're being, they're being educated on how it's, actually okay for them to take this loaded firearm and go walk off into the, these public lands, these public woods within a, you know, within an hour drive of their house. And a lot of these folks. Yeah. And I is, can picture so, all this. So foreign. I've, I've hunted with some big city folks for the first yeah. time, you know, through my experiences with hunting TV and stuff, I've been exposed to people like, you know, so I, I get incredibly how foreign, foreign, right? how foreign it can be. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, so then Andy and I just said, you know, and and we're trying, and I would say in some success with working with the resource commission to say, we don't agree. That's the way, the way that they were doing it. And, you know, it's okay to have the seminar thing or whatever to us where you want to learn about deer hunting, come to this seminar, but we're trying to restructure. I mean, we're already doing it and we've just decided we're not going to do the guided hunt. You show up. Like if you really want to do this, then you'll find us. And then we will serve as a mentorship kind of community where you can learn the things you want to learn, but you got to want it. Like you've really got to want this. Like what, wait, wait, why, why, what makes it that they have to really want it? Like I mean, if you, want to be a, if you want to be a Navy SEAL, you obviously uh-huh. really got to want it. But so what's the difference between your program and the state program that ensures that these are people are, these people are hungry to learn how to learn? 
Because what they're doing is basically holding hands to the point where we're saying, um, if this is something that interests you, we're not going to take you from zero to 60, like maybe those are doing. It's going to take time. It's going to take experience. It's going to take a commitment um, where if you just show up to one seminar and then you take it on a hunt and you shoot a deer, I don't know if you actually learned that much. I mean, it takes years in my opinion, to actually learn more about hunting than what that would teach you. I mean, that's almost just being a trigger man in a sense, in my opinion. I mean, my opinions are, I guess, my own. So Andy. Uh, well, it, it seems to me that you get the, you get the basic requirements to be able to go out and hunt pretty sure. quickly, but then right. you spend the rest of the, your life figuring out the nuances. You know what right. I mean? Like there's, I could now kill elk that I couldn't kill 20 years ago. I could now kill deer that if I was in the same t- situation 20 years ago, I would not have killed. However, 20 years ago, I certainly, if got if I got lucky and stumbled into a deer and shot it, I'd know what to do with it and stuff like that. So, right. And I think that, that I guess that's the way saw, I look at it. Yeah. We just saw a dishonesty in the way that it was doing because you know until you kind of articulated and some of the stuff that you were saying was like are we advocating for a hunting community that's always thinks that they need to have private land and a lease to shoot deer and you know that way nobody else can hunt there no one else can hunt and you're on like this private piece that nobody else is on and our perspective is i don't think that's the way that you want to go about this i think you want these people to be interested in the whole process of learning about game, about, as you would put it, you know, beating them with your wits, failing more and not blaming, you know, the fact that you don't have private land and you should just go out and get a lease, then you can get it done in other ways, but it's going to take time. Um, And, you know, the resource commission, a lot of these R3 programs will complain you know, oh, well, we don't have retention. It's because, well, I mean, what did you expect out of that experience? Was that, did you expect them to just be like, okay, if they have the money, they're just going to go and buy a lease and then do this. And then we're going to get our license out of them every year. Yeah. I, I, I've been saying recently that it'd be, it's impossible to be pro R3 because I think of them as the three R's is internally inconsistent. Uh, the first elk i went after this year the first place i camped i get set up and then there's some guys camped four people camped quarter mile from where i am the next morning i go up after some elk and and there they are and when they saw me and i saw them the last thing on their mind was oh gee i'm sure glad to be out here and then move camp two three miles uh set up camp walk a quarter mile oh there's another camp right by mine those guys spooked some elk right past me then i ran into them and their last thing on their mind was boy i'm sure seeing him sure makes me more glad to be out here two days later same thing i'm in this stink hole that was like impenetrable and nearly impossible to get into this deep cut and i run into a guy and same thing he was so discouraged by seeing another hunter there 
So in my mind, you're either R2 reactivation and recruitment or your R1. I don't retention. I, I just, I don't, I can't believe it's much different in North Carolina. I just had a couple guys on my podcast, Jimmy DeTraglia and David Strickland. Uh, that's the next episode that's going to air. And man, they sure make it sound like crowding is a huge freaking issue. So I could see where I could see where, you know, yeah. So anyway, it's obvious where I fall on all of this, which is, yeah, I'm, I'm concerned about the existing hunting community, not, not, not growing it. Um, but so I don't want to linger on that too much, but anyway, uh, I am curious about one thing, unless you don't go ahead. We're at a convenient stopping point. I'm going to ask a question. Go ahead. Okay. So how are these folks that know so little being where, what's, what's peaking their curiosity about hunting enough to take a course either from you or from the state? That's a question that I probably don't know the answer to in terms of now the state. I don't know how they're finding it necessarily, whether they're just somebody who is, I want to learn how to hunt. So I'm just going to look on how to get a hunting license or something on the resource commission. And they come across the page. Well, I'm more interested in one level deeper. What made them go? I want to learn how to hunt. I think that's probably different per person. I don't know. Yeah, I'm sure it varies. Yeah, sure. Yeah. But there's a pie chart that one could imagine making if they had the data to do so. One would, Um, I I think that hunting media, I was six, would be the hugest chunk by far. Um, My granddaddy did it. That might be like, that might be. You think the biggest piece of the pie, the bulk of new hunters are coming because of hunting media? I do. I do. Do you think it's because of all hunting media or specific types of hunting media? No, I think it's, well, it, I would say that it, it's more than a specialist sort of hunting media, like a hunt, an elk hunting influencer that teaches you how to call. It would probably be more, you know, meat eater stuff that's more trying to capture a, entice a wider audience and make it hip and cool. I mean, I know people get into hunting because of meat eater. Sure. Uh, People reach out to me all the time that 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 was their initial impulse and joe rogan i know a lot of people get into hunting because of joe so why did why do people get into hunting because of meat eater and joe rogan like what do you think the tie is they, it's just this, i guess you could the answer to that question is also to the the answer to the question why do did adolescent girls buy bows and mass after watching hunger games they see something portrayed to them in a enticing fashion 
and then they get into it. You know, that movement created some archery hunters. <laughs> yeah, the, the Katniss ever seen. Yeah, yeah. I, I, don't, I don't know necessarily what the pie chart is for sure about the people who at least I come across. I will say that a large bulk of them are people who want wild game is what I'm seeing. Now, the locavore kind yeah, of Yeah, if I if they yeah. came across it through Meteor on Netflix or if they came across it through some other media, I'm not sure cuz I've never asked that question necessarily. Um a lot of other ones are like my grandfather hunted I did not, my father did not hunt, but then, you know, they hear about it or something like that, or their grandfather, some, they have some previous connection to it. I hear a lot of that one um, that just was lost in a year or somewhere. Mm -hmm. I hear that a lot. I've also been hearing a lot lately. My son really wants to learn how to hunt. So I want to learn with him so I can spend time to hunt with him. That one, that one right there could be the most influenced by the media. That one very well could be the like one guy to said, Matt's point. Yeah, one guy said because I look uh, at like I, yeah. have, I have some family that are of the age that they consume a lot of social media, like way more than <laughs> way more than I can even comprehend. And yeah. uh, I know I know they're motivated to go hunt and go fish because of the the social influence of it you have and to be on you have to be on social media very little before the algorithms start feeding you hunting and fishing content very little i can just say that i just know that because i barely ever look at it but man when i do they have figured out what i what they think i want to see I don't want to see it. I just look at it, hold my nose and look at it because I got to know what I'm criticizing. Do you look at us? Do you, do you scope out our pages? No, I have. Well, <laughs> now I probably will, but yeah, I was just curious. Uh, we're, we're, I did talking, not dig into you. I did not dig into you. We were guys. talking earlier yesterday and I was like, I wonder if Matt is going to look and judge how many gripping grins are on our Instagram page. Our opportunity outdoors page. Yeah. <laughs> well, cool. I mean, if you, if you, if you, if you have any, then yeah, I'm obviously not on board with the gripping grins, but it's not, I, it's not like I have that. I'm going to then dislike you or discount what you have to say it's just i don't yeah, think no. that's the right the the right move um but there are people that i do troll it doesn't seem because I, I i was i've been trolling some folks recently because i was just wondering what the effect of doing that was and what it really it, what it tends to do is it really tends to um entrench people it doesn't seem sure. to, you don't see no matter how thoughtful i could put something like this kind of content reduces opportunity for the common man. Sure. And even something like that will galvanize the people that the, the person that posted it together with the people that follow that person. Uh, it, so it doesn't accomplish the, doesn't get people to, to think I just did it to see if there was anybody that hadn't, 
some ambivalence about it that could be swayed. I do get some likes when I do it, which is weird. It's like, why are you liking when I criticize the content that you seem to enjoy? Man, you need to think a lot. I think it comes up every time and every of your shows, Matt. Everyone can agree with some, at least some aspects of your opinion on this whole hunt quietly idea. No. I don't think there's I don't think there's anybody who can sit across the table from you and say every single piece of what you're saying is wrong. Yeah. I certainly can't. I, I've been I've been incredibly entertained and now I, I've like changed some of my the way I think after like listening to some of your ideas and creating new ones on my own, inspired by the conversation. I mean, it's it's definitely important to be talked about. And it's not being talked about, which maybe is the greatest point that you've impressed on me is that it's not being talked about anywhere. No, no influencer is going to talk about what their influence, like what the impact of their influencing is. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I have a burning question. What, what motivates you guys, you guys to, bring more hunters into the fold to facilitate that process. I think it is more of a thought process and, and and we've been formulating this over the time we've been doing this. Why are we doing what we're doing? And I I can say um, on my end, one is, you know, I definitely was probably blinded by some of the stuff that was put out there in the beginning which was we don't have enough of this and hunting's going to be gone because nobody hunts anymore. I was definitely blinded by that in the beginning. That's what initially I was like, yes, we got to do this. We got to do more of that. And that's what probably initiated me wanting to help with getting started outdoors. But then as we continued to do this, I thought more of, well, this is pretty, in my opinion, dishonest from the way that I grew up hunting and not saying that everybody has to hunt the way that I do in terms of, Um, I've never leased land for hunting. I've never felt I needed to have private, um, even though I've only been hunting public for four or five years since I moved here. But just the idea of that was just crazy to me and for a while. Cause I mean, I lived in an area where you could knock on someone's door and hunt in New York and it would be okay. You know, I did that when I moved out in college, I could go and find a farmer and hunt. And just the idea of that and like the dishonesty that people are coming to these GSOs and be like, well, I guess I got to go find private land now and set up my feeder and nobody else will bother me and I'll shoot my deer was just like, no, you don't, you don't got to do that. And if that's what you're learning from this, then I'd rather you come out here and learn something a different way with me. It's going to take some time, but it's rewarding in my opinion, it's work, but that's the work that I enjoy doing. And if you enjoy it the way that I think, a lot of people could, if you got into it and you're actually really interested in doing this, then come on out. And then I think, you know, there's also the, you know, Andy and I have talked about this too, the consumptive versus non-consumptive perspective in the outdoors and the wildlife is, 
Um, if there's somebody who's a mountain biker or something like that, that is interested in learning and they find us and they go out and learn how to hunt through us, then they're going to see maybe the public lands and the outdoor places, maybe a little bit differently than wanting to put a ski resort somewhere or biking paths everywhere where they see a different value in it. I, I, um, I mean, that's what I'll say for now, but Andy, do you have anything to add to that? I, I don't, I mean, I, I just think there's a lot, <laughs> there's, there's a lot of reasons why I've always invited people to join me on hunts. Um, I mean, up until, up until we started doing this, I guess, like quote unquote, formally, I've been doing this my whole adult life. Like I, I've always, I've always traded in circles that weren't like diehard hunters. Um, and I've crossed paths with lots of people who we start talking about what we're doing next weekend and tell them you're going to go hunt something somewhere and curiosity peaks. And almost every time someone in the room is curious enough to say, well, I would go try that. And, uh, I don't know. It's, it's, it's fun to, to show people something that like, I don't know, was like handed down through my family. I, I very much grew up in like the, I guess like the antique these days version of, of how it, how it happens where like your grandpa hunts, teaches your dad how to hunt, your dad teaches you how to hunt. And that's like, not the, that's not the common path anymore. Mm -hmm. And I don't know that, I mean, for a long time, I definitely didn't give a lot of thought to how many hunters were out there. I've hunted in a reasonable variety of places with various amounts of pressure and always thought that it just kind of is part of public hunting, I guess. But I don't know. I, I don't, I don't see how you can then, I don't see how I could say no is part is one part of it. Yeah. Another side of it too is, and through listening, some of, you know, pulling the, you know, cloth away from my eyes, if you want to say, in terms of the whole social media stuff and everything like that, um, is that if there are new people who are getting into hunting for reasons that I don't necessarily agree with, which are, you know, posting pictures of dead animals because they think it's really cool to shoot a huge animal. And don't get me wrong, I've gone through every phase of it as a kid who grew up with always knowing social media. Like yeah. that and you want to put like look at the big buck I shot. I'm 16, 17 years old. Look at this thing. You want that affirmation to now being, you know, in my late 20s to say, I don't really care who sees it besides maybe some close friends now, as I've really matured um to say who is the people that these who are interested in getting into it now who what are they seeing and who are they talking to and what are they watching if they can come across someone maybe like myself or andy who are willing to say we will show you some stuff but also hopefully get some insight in the way that we believe hunters should act then that also gives me some hopeful, you know, some hope in terms of what is our culture and our community of the hunting going to be from like these NC state college kids, are they going to go out and watch social media videos of what we're talking about at 
terms of being something that could be negative to hunting, or are they going to be out there with guys like Andy and myself? Um, so, you know, I guess that's another part of it too, is, is what yeah, that's, that's a huge piece. If you can't, if people are coming, you know, if they're coming, no matter what you do, don't you want to be on the side of like helping steer it as well as, as straight as the ship can go? Yeah, absolutely. Okay. I want, I want to, I want to highlight what you didn't say, and I'm doing this for selfish reasons. Sure. What you didn't say is to make them better people. Okay. So I, what I heard was it's fun to teach people how to hunt and it could make them into the it, it, making people into hunters could make them into conservation advocates. So yep. that's one way to look at it. Both, both of those are kind of like aligned with your own self interests in the same way that my stance is aligned with my self-interest now you could you you guys could argue as could i that our stances are also aligned with some contingent other contingent self-interest and with in my case it's a, a my stance is aligned with the self-interest of the existing hunting community you could argue that your stance is aligned with the self-interest of people that are, that are keen on becoming hunters. So I could argue there's that no there's we're no difference with you. What's with that? The existing I could argue that we are aligned in the in the same vein to support the existing hunting community. Yeah, you could make that argument. It'd be a little convoluted, given uh, it'd be pretty clear. And I could also argue that I was trying to make somebody a better person, but I don't think I'm, uh, of it didn't come to mind. I don't think I'm of any kind of validation to say that they're a bad person or could be better. Right. But what, what I heard was your reasons for wanting to make more hunting hunters were not altruistic. Any more than mine are for not wanting more hunters. They're not, your interests are wrapped up in your desire to make more hunters because you want to have fun. It's fun to show people how to hunt. So, no doubt. So I'm not saying this is a bad thing. It's not like an no, I, I gotcha. I'm no, no I'm no better than you are in this respect. But I, what, the I, want, what between, I want to get at, and I'll just ask it, Matt, could either, I, I guess, should either of us be looking at it and trying to whatever form a stance on it on altruistic purposes no viewpoint. it's just the di i just get fed up with people saying that i want it all to myself <laughs> oh, i don't think you do that you know and then when you when you drill down into it you find no, that I think everybody i think you think just like i do you would take anybody who asked you hunting you've said that a dozen times yeah and i and i do i do yeah, and I think that's super cool. I think you align with exactly what I believe in on that front. Yeah. I'm just trying to punctuate the problem we have with 
yeah. reduce quality of opportunity. And that any effort that could be directed towards opening up opportunity, we haven't talked about access at all. We've talked about habitat some, mm-hmm. but any acts, any effort that's being directed towards um, bringing more hunters in, I think is a lost opportunity because it could be being used perhaps futilely, but the hope would be to increase access. Mm-hmm. I, I totally agree with you. I think that I don't, I haven't yet, uh, found the person with the pockets to be able to afford the production of more public land yet <laughs> when i come across that person oh i i have somebody I'll for let you. you know i have yeah. somebody for you you got somebody we should i work just on? recorded a guy flew up here from texas two days ago to my house and i entertained him for the weekend and we fit and we recorded a podcast this guy's name is Skylar Watkins, and he's he owns a jerky company. This guy's 36 years old. He's got so much shit going on. It's unbelievable. He also leases zillions of acres in Texas and has an outfitting business, and he he's repentant about it. He doesn't want that to be his life, so he started this. So the, your guys' episode will air right after his. He started this nonprofit called Four Progeny. And he's trying to get people to donate three bucks a month a year to buy a public buy land and turn it over to the public for hunting. That's fantastic. It's so simple. It's simpler than anything any of the nonprofits are doing. You input dollars. He outputs access, you know, and he's only got five thousand dollars raised so far. But anyway, hey, I just think like he's a, wonderful. Like a, he's a like he's a, a wonderful person. What's going to take amazing. for something for what's what's going to take for something for Skyler to be successful? For something like Skyler's ID to be successful is it's going to take a personality, somebody that people can trust, because. Mm-hmm. You know, there's all what kinds of ways that one could imagine in the back of their mind that becoming corrupted, but this guy is pure as the driven snow, and it comes across very quickly that that's the case. You know, so I don't know. I'm rooting for him. I'm I'm rooting for him now, and I can't wait. I've to- never even heard of him, and I think that's amazing. Yeah, it's yeah. the le- it's the number four progeny. Yeah, so yeah, look it up. I will definitely. Yeah, I'm gonna go sign up. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, yeah. Do you guys, when with the students you have, I only care about leasing, and I only harp on leasing because there's a lot of people that want to hunt. Sure. I mean, if you want, if it, let's say that land was not a hunting opportunity, was not a finite resource. I think it's an incredibly finite resource. If, but it was, if it was infinite and you're like, I don't want some other guy wandering where I'm hunting and I'm going to lease this place up. But 
that's not the way it works. What the way it works is that the guy that does the leasing or the family or the group of guys through the hunt club. Now, all of a sudden they got, because they doled out money and they have some number of acres per hunter that's way lower than the rest of us, you know, and I'm, I don't know, I'm, I'm concerned about the future of publicly accessible hunting that doesn't require money. So do you, do you instruct, do you educate? I'm not saying that you should, I'm not necessarily, I think that you, you could, you could say opportunity outdoors is opposed to leasing because of that or you could at least educate your students on the effects of leasing do you do do that we don't even talk about leasing i have never really had a conversation where i even entertained talking about it really if some guys like oh I, i need some private land i'll say I mean, I don't really know what to tell you. I don't, I've never done it. I, you know, so what we did, so I think it'd probably be better. It seems like the people that are trying to bring more into the people into the fold, the onus is on them more than people like me that sure. aren't trying to bring people into the fold to make that point. And, you know, that's maybe something that we need to fully talk about more than if that's something that we should consider. I don't think it's anything that I've been. I've thought about that much in terms of making that point and educating. I asked Lan Tawney, the guy that he's the head of BHA. Yeah. That the other day I said, look, these new, he said, we need more conservation. We need to, I, I agree. He was like, I was on the phone with him. I agree with 90% of your stance, but I think we need more conservation minded hunters. And then it led into me asking that question. I was like, okay, do you agree crowding is a huge issue? Yeah. He says, I said, well, do you teach these people not to gobble up all the opportunity for themselves that you're bringing up? No. I ask a question. Yeah. What opportunity, what does that mean to you when people gobble up opportunity by leasing land? Well, in some cases, it's really cut and dry here in Montana. If it wasn't for people leasing land or hiring outfitters that lease land. Our government programs that allow everybody to hunt would be a lot more attractive to landowners in a place where like where you guys live, where there aren't government programs that facilitate private. We don't even have a walk-in access program. We don't, we don't have anything. Well, there it's like, just quit being a selfish prick. And instead of leasing it up and keeping it all to yourself, lease it up and find ways to let other people on and not just your buddy or your cousin, everybody, lots of people. I'm having like a, I'm having like an epiphany and I'm comparing, uh, you we're living through the time right now where like elk hunting is the hottest, coolest thing to do. Probably I would argue. And what you're talking about makes perfect sense to me. There's places you can go that are essentially like state funded for public access. Is is there still state funded public access for elk hunting? Yeah. 
Yeah, there's block management that you can elk hunt on. You can elk hunt, yep. Okay. Yeah, we, I mean, so I would compare that with, I, I have to imagine that's what duck hunting on the East Coast used to be like. It probably used to be the coolest thing to do. And then it slowly got bought up, bought up, privatized, privatized. And now duck hunting, waterfowl hunting is the most combative, <laughs> just challenging because of pressure thing that you can do. Yeah. And you have hunting promotion to thank for that. I mean, that's yeah, just, abs absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. It's, it's, it's the people that everybody listens to the people, the only pe voices you hear. Those are the people you have to thank for that. Yeah, I mean, it could be. That's why That's why more and more land is getting leased up and taken out of the pool. Of but for for us used. out here, currently, the current situation here would be that if land becomes available to lease, it is, I don't know. I, it could be actually adding to available hunting acreage not taking away from it you could be taking you could be taking privatized property that was only accessible to the the landowner and his direct friends and family and all of a sudden you can pay to access it and i don't have to know the guy i don't have to know his friend i don't have to know anybody you, you, i can just like you're talking about a hunt club situation no i'm talking even even a direct pay lease i mean i can drive okay. up the road I did this recently, you know, Matt, I don't think I've ever been granted access for a door knock ever in my <laughs> life. I've never done it like a lot, but I've done it a handful of times. And I think it's always been no. And I was driving down the road. We saw a pond. It was November second split duck season. There's like 20 mallards in there. And I was like, oh man, there's no chance. There's no chance that the dude's going to be like, yeah, sure. Come sit here tomorrow morning. So I went and I looked him up on Onyx. I found his address. I showed up at his house get to talk to the guy i'm sorry the place is leased for deer hunting i don't think they duck hunt but it's leased so you can't go in there sorry call me back next summer if you want to talk about the lease right but without without the way that the current structure is the access opportunity never even would have existed because it would have likely just been him and his buddies and like nobody could go on there at all yeah it it varies it right varies it's not it's not, it's not it's not you it's don't not even fair you don't to have a government it program management. you don't have a government you know uh like like here there's two differences here where i live there's government programs that compensate very well for letting people on another thing is a lot of this area out here having no hunting isn't an option because the wildlife would eat you out of house and home. Sure. Yeah. You know. That's that's a big thing with deer hunting here is there are a lot of deer. And I mean, whoever listens to this, you know, and if they're from North Carolina, you, you get six tags, even if you're a non-resident. So, you know, they have a, lot of deer at least on the the east coast there's a lot of deer to be that they need to you know take because it's you know especially on the east part where all the farming is they have a problem with deer you know and crops so i mean our deer versus duck is very different because there's just a lot of deer mm -hmm. 
to Andy's point, yeah, there's a lot of places that you can't, you couldn't get on if nobody leased. Mm-hmm. Or if everybody leased, it doesn't matter. It's not, you're not going to get on there no matter what. You're not going to get on there for free no matter what. But I think there's also a hell of a lot of places where you'd have a chance of getting on there if it wasn't for somebody leasing it. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> it's it's a, yeah, I'd have to let that marinate. Well, I know that that's true to some extent because I know places out here that flip-flop between block management and leasing. So it's not like... Yeah, whatever is better this well, year. Well, got, I got too many does now. I'm going to go to block management. Yeah. Uh, because the outfitter won't shoot any does. And then uh, I'm sick of all these hunters. I'm going to go back to leasing. See, that sounds like a healthy relationship to me. That sounds like a good way to do business. If I was a, if I had a twenty thousand acre ranch in Montana, I'd I'd do that. That sounds great. Yeah, but I'm not looking at it from the perspective of the landowner. I'm looking at it from the perspective of the hunting community and how bad it screws people when you lease up a bunch of land for yourself. But I mean, that guy's at least letting them go on for block management to shoot does every two years or every other year. Well, it's not However that it. okay. It's not that rapid of a turnaround, but it would be in block management every year if it wasn't for some rich a-hole leasing up the whole thing. Yeah. Yeah. No, I just, I don't know, man. I'm not, I'm, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not facilitating bringing more people into the fold. Uh, I'm concerned about the fact that when people, do bring more people decide to facilitate bringing more hunters on board that's completely undemocratic they don't ask the rest of us uh uh when i had when i had uh the guy from modern carnivore on um he i don't know if that's really like a democratic question (laughs) go ahead I like, I like what Mark has to say. He, that was a fun episode to listen to. Mark Norquist, he says that over half of people don't want, of hunters don't want more hunters in, in his viewpoint. So, yeah, you guys could obviously do whatever you want, and I would fight to the death to, to protect that right. But it does seem a little bit presumptuous to be like, even though over half of people don't want more hunters. I'm going to help there be more hunters. See, I don't see it like we're we're helping there be more hunters. That's really not what we do. So like, if you're putting us into the box, if you put opportunity, no, I'm not, I'm not help there be more hunters. You're facilitating it, but I'm just saying, no, I'm not even facilitating it. I'm just, even if you want these people to have positive, if you just simply want these people to have positive experiences, I don't, I don't, I want them to have a really bad experience to be (laughs) honest with you. Like not in like a, I don't know, not in like a sad way. Just, I want them to have a hard time. Like there's no, this is, this is not like an easy endeavor. Like you'll be mad if they get something. No, it's not. No, but it's not supposed to be. 
Like you're not supposed to go out on your first deer hunt and shoot a booner. That's not how it's supposed to work. Right. So like the way, like the, <clears throat> the venue that we provide people isn't, it's all it is, is, is support for them to do a thing that they were going to do anyways. And here's a, here's a really good example. One of the reasons people don't want new hunters is because they have bad experiences with inexperienced hunters. So, or people who, who maybe haven't, haven't experienced hunting, like just for the record, that's not me. I don't want it. My root, if somebody's, if somebody spooks my elk, I don't care if they got 20 years of experience. (laughs) Yeah. It's the crowding that you, yeah, but yeah. But if, if there's two guys that think and hunt like you going up a mountain, the likelihood that either of them spooks the, the elk is a lot less than if you and somebody who is on their first ever Western big game hunt goes up the mountain next to you. Yes. Agreed. Right. So what if, if we can't, if we can't control, here's, here's the thing I didn't like the democracy question like that. We can't go ask everybody if it's okay to bring in more people because more people like the whole, the whole point, the whole reason why we have the public land is because we live in a place that created the public land for us to go on to for everybody. Right. So like, we can't then like try and put restrictions on who gets to go onto the public land because yeah, it's in agreed, our interest for them. Not agreed. To. I don't, the last, I know, I'm I know the last person that's trying to put restrictions you on anything. Like I said, I've been listening to you. I, <laughs> I feel like I understand your, your perspective pretty well, but when, when these new people come on, they're going to come on no matter what. We've got people coming to learn to that want to come into this. They want to come into this realm. They want to get more in touch with their food. They want to know what it's like to uh, to go spend five days like eating out of eating dehydrated food before they get to have a piece of meat, right? Like they 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 see it whether they see it on meat eater or they conjure it from reading a book. It doesn't really matter. They're coming up with that idea and they're gonna. They're going to pursue it. So when you've got, I'm going to put it into the context of a local example, and then we're going to extrapolate it back to your mountain and your elk. Last weekend was the first duck opener, the first split here in uh, Western Carolina. And Evan went in and sat down in a spot that he had scouted like three times. He knew exactly where he needed to be. He went in and I know how they, I know how he does it. He goes in at like, 3 30 in the morning or 4 a.m. and goes and sits in that spot with with a couple of lights hung in the tree above his head so that nobody comes around well evan what did you tell me was it was it 30 minutes before shooting or 15 minutes before shooting it was so you know it was me and another guy and we have two other uh, two other guys that are in in another spot about four or 500 yards in another part of the Creek. And I said, and they got there early too. So they got there at three, three 30, four o'clock. He set up in his spot. We set up in ours. So there are at least four vehicles parked at the one main access to this Creek. And it's not a very big Creek and we're just wood duck hunting. So, I mean, it's just early flight. It's going to happen quick right at, right at shooting light at six fifty-five, and right at about six o'clock, came the other two guys who rolled in and parked it, realized I was in the spot he wanted to be in. And he parked it uh, within a hundred yards of me in front of me. 
because he knew the birds would fly down the creek. So, and um, he shot two birds at first light that were going to come to us. And then he flared six more as he was going to get one of his ducks that would have gone right to us. My one buddy down the creek did get a couple of those ducks that ended up going to. That's him. okay. We're just talking about your hunt, and then yeah. who, who had to retrieve one of his one of his birds? Oh, that's right, your dog. Your dog <laughs> yeah. retrieved one of his birds because that's how close they were. Okay, so that guy screws up your hunt. Let's just let's just assume that those guys they just don't know any better, or that maybe they're just jerks. But let's just let's assume for being fair that they just don't know any better and they just didn't realize that like 70 yards or 50 yards or whatever is a little bit tight for for being in the same beaver pond all right same example going up the mountain the guy's new doesn't know any better goes and blows out all of your elk matt if what what if what if let's just say what would you what would you say matt if somebody like you or me or Evan had talked to that guy before his hunt or had been texting with that guy leading up to opening day and maybe he was like, man, what do I do if there's five trucks in the parking lot when I get there? All, all of a sudden, all of a sudden, that guy has the voice of reason, hopefully, from somebody with a little bit more experience to say, Hey man, if there's like five trucks in that parking lot. You should either go to the, your backup parking lot, go to the next spot. Or when you get in there, just make sure you're really far away from whoever else is in there. Don't set up in the same pond. That's, that's a little tight. That's not, it's not really, it's not really a good way to treat other people. And next time you'll know to get there at two o'clock in the morning. Cause then it's yours. Then you can have it. So what do you think about all that, Matt? I'm curious. Just go. Just I I think that that's sh- that that you if you're if you're waiting for them that person to your your student to ask, then you, you need to revise your program. I mean, the first day should be how close do you get do you set up next to somebody else don't litter in places where government programs are in direct competition with private individuals for hunting access don't lease it up for yourself don't don't put it on Instagram because then it's not clear if you're really in it for the love of it and the meat, or if you're more in it into it because you're trying to derive notoriety for yourself and hunting prop opportunity is precious. And we need to preserve it for people that are really like it and not people that are trying to be Kim, Kim Kardashian with it. So like, I don't know. I think, that all those things need to be part of the, especially for people that are, I know you're not trying to drum up interest in hunting. You're just facilitating it. But still, if you're at all involved in bringing more people on board, it seems like you should have a heightened sense of what a 
major impact crowding is having on people's experiences and that that should be first and foremost. Yeah, let me let me explain a little bit too more about like what we actually do formally, because like we don't have like a like a class where we bring in like a board of people and do stuff like. Yeah, maybe, we don't have students either. Like the resource commission, maybe you could put them as students. OK, like, you're you know, right. I haven't taken the time to get them to know. Exactly no, no, I just want to, you know, so that way you can get a better understanding of how we kind of operate. Um, and that is we will host and facilitate some events based around hunting and fishing that we would normally do anyway as hunters you know typical hunter stuff we're going to go to the range and we're going to sight in our rifle make sure it's dialed in and we'll say okay we're having our rifle shooting event we'll call it or where people can come and shoot their rifle to get it dialed in and talk with us hunters this is how you sight in your rifle, making sure that they're all dialed in, making sure they're in an ethical spot. But then there's also things which would probably be called, considered more of our flagship, which is more centered around hunting, which is legitimate, just straight up hunt camps where you can come and participate as someone in like the old school hunt camps that you've had in the past where people around the campfire, they hang out, they go hunt in the morning, they go hunt in the afternoon, you come back to camp. And basically what it is, is a mix of people who are experienced hunters and a mix of people who are newer to the hunting world, but they have all the gear. We're not guiding anybody. Mentors are, mentors are hunting or experienced hunters are hunting just as well as the new hunters are hunting. Yeah. More of a place where they can come and feel like they can hang out with hunters and ask questions and maybe get a little few tips or tricks here and there. And get in take that step into hunting where you're hunting by yourself in a way and not having somebody hold your hand and say here you go here's the stand to sit and here go here now i could see where your rebuttal would be like well, aren't you worried about overcrowding those areas where you bring these newer hunters into and it might be a valid question but at the same time we do try and structure it around huge tracts of national forests like you know there's one in the middle of our our state there's, you know, the mountains out in the West, and then there's another huge national forest to the East Coast. We're typically in one of those. And we talk about if you want to get to a spot, you're going to want to get there early. If there's a truck there, you got to go to your plan B or C or D. And if they need help formulating a plan on what's my plan A, what's my plan B, what's my plan C, can you show me what I want to look at on a map to figure out where I might want to set up? You know, I or Andy or some other experienced hunter would say, I would maybe try to do this or go over in this area. And I also try and set it up so that way these hunters aren't on top of each other. Or we try to make sure that we're not putting everybody on top of each other. Now, it could be, but at the same time, you know, someone could argue on the devil's advocate side that, well, what about the guy who always hunts there and you're bringing this person in? That could be something you could argue, but it's not like we're bringing like, you know, more than 10 different people in yeah. having the conversation. Of, if, I'm a, if, if, if I'm a, I, I can't even tell if I'm opposed to what you guys are doing at all. Now that I understand it, I probably, yeah. I don't know. I'm probably not. I mean, what I'm clearly opposed to in the, in the R3 realm is the nonprofits drumming up interest in hunting as 
because it's an expectation from their industry sponsors sure. that but this is it sounds way more like helping people that already have an interest in hunting do it responsibly and i'm on board with that that seems reasonable to me now that you need my endorsement <laughs> i would say i would say that they that the are that the hunt quietly agenda you might you know some po points in there that you seem to agree with i would say that they should be you know something that's talked about around the campfire just because yeah. crowding's an issue sure i think well, you can you can pretty much bet on the fact that it, regardless of us sitting here together matt ranella's name was probably going to pop up at the campfire at deer camp <laughs> it, it already has come up your the conversations that you have had around hunting and the way that hunters are acting in their best interests, as you would say, has already come up in a board meeting of ours. Oh, we don't have sponsors currently. I mean, yeah, Onyx gave us some free subscriptions to give out to people to use for three months. So that way they don't get lost. And that's how we saw it. Now, obviously they saw it in a different way and you know, it, it's, for whoever to oh, what did, how did they see it oh like as a gateway to a yeah. sure obviously i mean um but you ever seen that those videos where that well there's one that was filmed right outside at mile city here where mm -hmm. he's where eric siegfried is in in some landlocked bureau land management land is it the anyone's hunt stuff I don't know what it's called, but he's in there with a guy from TRCP, Joel Webster. Oh, okay. They flew in with a helicopter. I, I have seen and it. And they're in landlocked BLM. And so like, these are the parts of the, these are our public lands and we don't even get to see them because they're landlocked and isn't this beautiful and what a travesty. You know that dude, Eric Siegfried, he uh, just bought an outfitting business. He's got a bunch of landlocked public land, and now he's outfitting it. Yeah, I, I, I can't speak to him or, I mean, I don't, like, consume a ton of hunting TV. Like, no, people don't, you don't. I don't <laughs> so I don't know, know enough I about I live it. where he did it. Yeah, I learned no, so. from the local wildlife biologist that had to issue the permit and some guys oh, from that's the BLM. Funny. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, I just, I don't know. It's just, it's just yeah, um, this has, this is a, this is a, this is a major tan tangent. I'm not saying. Oh yeah. That what they're doing, that, that they, but I mean, who's, who's was a better bad suited thing. to I just know exactly was, what ranch to buy? No <laughs> one is better suited to know exactly what ranch, ranch to buy. <laughs> yeah. 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 But I mean, to back to the point is one, we're very young. And two, if we were to get to a point where people were actually interested in supporting us through sponsorships and stuff, we've already had the conversation where Matt Ranella's came, name came up and we want to be thoughtful about what it is we're doing in terms of the best interest is us as hunters and how we're operating. You know, yeah. we have, we have the power to do that now before you know, in the past, Andy made up a good point in that meeting was that 
we kind of did this, you know, for our own benefit of thinking like, this is cool. We're bringing new people into hunting and we're going to do great in terms of making hunting a way of making money for ourselves in life. And I think we've, as we've been doing this, our tone has completely 180 in the way that we're seeing what we're doing here in terms of, like you said, turning people who are coming into the hunting community already from whatever way they've been coming in, whether it be social media or hunting TV or reading a book and trying to get to them before they get bad habits and start hunting responsibly and think about, you know, what they're doing when they're out there and where they're doing it and how they're doing it for the existing hunting community in terms of this is what you're coming into. This is us. You're learning through us, the existing hunting community. And, you know, hopefully we're getting the average, everyday average Joe, the guy that's not on a TV show or posting his workout videos for elk hunting and doing all this stuff. Cause that's not us. Our, you know, I'll say our social media has some gripping grids on it right now. And that's going to be another conversation we'll have in terms of, but our social media has never been about me or Andy. I mean, you will rarely see us on there. Mm -hmm. It's never been to be about us or. And I don't know, Matt, what would you think if the gripping grins were of meat instead of antlers? It, 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 in in my mind, it, it it's not. I'm not concerned about it's what. Mostly the a joke. What's that? I'm mostly kidding. But oh. we were doing uh, we were doing backstrap gripping grins for a while, which was pretty funny. Like it was people's like first deer, and it and they you know they want to hold up a, a deer for a picture, and we told yeah. them you can hold up the backstraps. It's still some buddy going. Hey, I got one. Aren't I great? Yeah, oh, sure, no doubt. No doubt. No, and these are probably people that that would have done it, would still be out there hunting, even if they couldn't show any part of it. They're probably out there for the right reasons. That's what we I would say that probably who knows, a large percent of the people that are gripping grinning to strangers would still still be out there if they couldn't but man being that crowding is my big beef i just want to disincentivize whatever percentage there is and i know not what that percentage is of people that are out there for the notoriety i want to just make that not be an incentive anymore so that's where i'm where i have staked my claim you know Mm-hmm. You pretty much sold me. I was, I was on board pretty much right away. Like, man, there's no need for a gripping grin on social media. I can send it to the, I can send it in a text to the people that need to see it. And I can, there's no reason to post it publicly. Yeah. I, I'll tell you, I'll tell you this, the impact that you've had on me thinking about that is I <laughs> try to think of every reason opposite of that in terms of like why a grip and grin it's it's fine and it's not a problem and it led me to the point where i actually went through my social media on instagram and got rid of all of them because i wanted to make sure that if i had posted a grip and grin it wasn't for me to say hey look at me and i haven't felt a need to do it 
since. So mm-hmm. I, 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 I have the self-awareness to say that there was definitely a part of me, if any part of me that was doing it to say, Hey, look at me. And I still can definitely tell you that I would feel that way about oh, it. When I, when I yeah. shoot something cool, I want to tell the whole world. I still have the impulse. That's how I know that, that, that that's like, what I did was, uh, what, when I started thinking about hunting social media, what I did was I tried to imagine, let's say you have a world where everybody can show everybody their hunting accomplishments. What kind, what, what kind of, what would emerge out of that? What picture emerges out of that? And then I said, then I thought, well, the picture that emerges out of, out of that is some is people using dead animals to brag and sell products. And then I went and looked and saw, and then it just confirmed what you would think that that was the case, you know? Yeah. Right. Yeah. And, and it's funny because like when we do our hunt camps and we do our stuff, it's like, we come across a lot of people that I was like, not a lot, but like every once in a while you, you come across someone and it's like, sometimes I want to say you've watched too much of this stuff. This is not how it is. Yeah. Like, this is how it is. Like you're in it now. Like, this is it. This is what we're like. This is what these people are doing behind camera. You know, if they are, you know, hunting and even though they have a camera with them, if they're doing all this work that you're just not seeing, this is like the hard work. Yeah, uh, this is the stuff that you're not being exposed to enough, but you're learning it right now. I think people start to open up their eyes to that. I think, but then I think there's a lot of people who don't even care and they are excited about that side. And that's, you know, more what we're after, but we're also trying to say like, if you're coming anyway, because that's what you saw, then let us show you maybe what you didn't realize. Yeah. <laughs> All this. Yeah. Because I mean, I'll I'll tell you this much. I know just as many hunters that are lifelong hunters, where the whole social media stuff and watching TV and thinking that I'm going to go out and hunt elk out west is going to be some easy endeavor, but they end up just going and getting a guide on a leased up piece of property, and because they they just aren't in it because they want to figure out how to hunt them necessarily, or they don't think they can. I mean, I've, I've done a couple of DIY elk hunts. I haven't gotten one. I've been darn close, but I didn't do it because all I wanted was the elk at the end, I guess necessarily. And I'm not saying that I'm, I obviously was, that's what was the goal. Like I wanted a big and I wanted to go out and do it and I've gotten close and I've been there, but I couldn't bring myself to the point where I was like, I'm going to pay all this money to go get a private land. Yeah just keep doing it DIY. And then when you get it one, it'll be that much sweeter. Right. But I I guess that's where like, that's just where I came from when I grew up with. So when somebody comes in from it and I say this all the time is I just can't, I have a really time, hard time relating to somebody who didn't grow up in it. So all I can do is show what I know, (laughs) I guess. Yeah. And I hope that they see it the way I do. Because I have a hard time sometimes when, you know. It takes a lot of work to do what you guys are doing. And it takes a lot of selflessness in that you're, 
the hunting season is only so long and you're like, instead of going out and looking out for number one, I'm going to well, participate in these camps with a bunch I of think the, I think the first and, year it was easy. Cause we we're, you know, when we started out, it was like, all right, we're going to, we're going to like designate a weekend. So we would like, you know, you could like pick like a, yeah. like a less desirable weekend because it's an introduction and like pre rut or something like that. Yeah. Or post, you know, okay. like pick a December hunt when we can get people out and a lot of the pressure is down. There's less people out there. And, um, we've, we've evolved to where we're like, no, let's now we, we kind of choose like where, what's the hunt that we want to do. And then let's just try and do it all. Let's try and do it all. That's well, you, yeah. you the hunt you want to do. And then you bring these people with you essentially yeah it's like oh what? my god you guys just give till it freaking hurts what would you do it's it's like what did we talk about this summer we were like well what would you do for opening day if you uh if you had to hunt with 10 people instead of just by yourself and we're that's basically how we it's basically how we figured out where <laughs> stay we're home <laughs> yeah. yeah uh yeah i'll also say too like we're not innocent in the fact that you say like we're selfless and we're just giving and not getting no. back because i'll tell you what it's probably a poor way to look at it, but I'm just being completely honest. Cause I'm just an anonymous guy. Like I do a lot of scouting. I am, you know, married, but no kids. I spend a lot of time out in the woods. I, you know, I get the opportunity to go do a lot of scouting. Now I hope nobody thinks of me as some like big monster buck killer. Cause I wish I was, but I'm not, but you know, I'm sending people into areas that I know about and I'm like, yeah, it's kind of a trek in there, but you can get in there and, you know, if you get in early, you, you won't bother anybody. You shouldn't. I mean, and um, I get a lot of information from people. Oh. oh, and I'm not saying that's my, that's oh. not my, that's not my uh, intent, but it happens. These people, these people are your eyes and ears on the ground. <laughs> that's the joke. Okay, no, no, I, I, I figured, no. I figured. Yeah. Um, more like they're probably clumsing through and never seeing the deer that I would hope they would see, but, uh, <laughs> but at the same time, you know, we get, I have more, we, you know, Andy and myself have more excuses to go hunt with our wives. We can say, well, we got to do the hunt camp this weekend. So I'd love to, to stay go. here with you, honey, but <laughs> yeah. I'm committed. Yep. Committed. Go. <laughs> That's the other joke. So, uh, well, fellas. Thank you so much for taking the time. I appreciate your perspective very much. Um, I, uh, I, 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 I'm more on board with, uh, I'm definitely the needle has moved toward more towards being on board with the sorts of things folks like you do. So I appreciate it. Well, we appreciate the conversation, Matt. And, um, thanks for, uh, thanks for having us, man. It was awesome talking to you. Cause we've been listening to you a lot. We love your perspective. We like hearing it. I like hearing somebody else's voice in the hunting community that isn't just making money off of it. I think it's, it's great. Well, I, I I appreciate the encouragement, Evan. All right. You guys take care. Yeah. Right. Thanks a lot, Matt. Appreciate the time.